TV Campfire Podcast. I was like, yep, okay, so you win for the week. <laughs> <laughs> We're here. I hate to sound like a broken road. Oh, no! <laughs> We're fans. It's one of the best things on television. Oh! oh! All right, we got you a hold of Oh, no, you didn't. We talk TV. That was the best scene ever. Like, All that right, blew I'll- me away. It was absolutely amazing. I just couldn't believe it. Welcome to the show. This is podcast number 473, and I'm Livia, your host, and this week we have returning guests. Hi, I'm David. I work in post-production in Los Angeles, California. Hey, this is Peter. I live in Hollywood and write for Why So Blue. And this is Allison, and I write reviews for Weedonopolis. Thanks, guys, for showing up this week, and let's talk about the news. We have that Cobra Kai has been renewed early for Season 4, ahead of even, I think, the premiere of Season 3 on Netflix. Um, Someone named Bex Taylor Klaus, which we know her, when I saw her face, I was like, oh, it's that girl from that thing. And uh, she will be joining an ABC medical drama called Triage. And literally look her up because you know her. I can't think of what she's in everything. And I'm blanking on something right now. But I wrote it down. I was like, oh, it's her. Uh, Marcia Martin from Blackish, who's she's the oldest daughter from Blackish, is developing her own show based on um, a kid's novel called Savvy. So I'm just impressed that she's producing her own television show. And she's what? 1920. Um, Good for her. Apple it has restarted UK production of a show called Suspicion, uh, starring Uma Thurman, and has also started production back up of a show called Slow Hand, starring Gary Oldman. I didn't know either one of those shows were shooting in the first place. So I was like, ooh. So I, I'm I'm excited about that. Uh, Ryan Murphy has been greenlit for a limited series called Monster, the Jeffrey Dahmer Story, which is not surprising at all if you know Ryan Murphy, that, <laughs> that he's doing this series. Ooh, I wonder who's going to play Jeffrey Dahmer. Huh. Are you feeling like you want to go on audition for that, Peter? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I grew I grew up, because I'm from Chicago, and that was Milwaukee, so I was uh, right next door to this, uh, the... Chocolate factory worker slash cannibal. Yes. Um, huh. Interesting. I can't, I'm very I'm very curious about that. Yeah. This is these are the stories that, that why I don't like Ryan Murphy as much as you do. Like I have no desire to see a story about Jeffrey Dahmer eating people. No, thank you. All Unless right. it's a musical, maybe. <laughs> oh, well, that's a whole nother. Yes. Uh, wow. Special glee, special glee season. Yes. Oh wow, that would be crazy. All right, let's start off with the shows. First up, we're going to talk about Lovecraft Country. And this episode, half of it made sense and half of it made me think, like, am I high? Like, I was checking myself to make sure I wasn't. So the first half of the episode takes all the storylines that we've had through the entire series and it brings them all together. It reminds us where everybody is in the story, what everybody's doing, and it all that part really works but then the second half of the episode is like some sort of drug trip like i i literally don't know what exactly happened did we time travel did we go to a different dimension do we do a combination of the two was it a hologram 
Like, I, I genuinely don't know what happened in the second half of the episode. It was fantastic, though. The bit where uh, Hippolyta became like a Roman soldier and learned how to fight with a sword was fantastic. But then they fought uh, Union, not Union, but Confederate soldiers who had weapons for some reason that they never fired. Like, it was very confusing. Um, Allison, what did you think of the newest episode? Um, well, like you, it was like, you know, it was great. And then the drugs kicked in and (laughs) it it was great even after the drugs kicked in, frankly. I mean, I, I really, I thought it was a great episode and I loved, I I mean, if, if you want to say, okay, what were they doing physically specifically? Yes. That, that was kind of confusing. I did understand what they were doing in terms of storyline, in terms of metaphor. I mean, this was. The theme. I mean, it was basically this is Hippolyta and her her journey of self actualization um, as as a black woman and in in a white world and as a woman in a man's world. Um, I and I I loved seeing that that kind of played out and parts of it were you know I understood were like taken from her daughter's comic book because when it started getting into a very 1950s science fiction and and all of that that look um i thought okay well that's that's you know influences from from her kids comic uh, i think that most of us you know they, we this was sold to us as time travel but i think it's less time travel than a journey inward this was you know her her own psyche sort of branching out and and becoming a different kind of person so i'm not i'm not really sure where physically she was supposed to be but it was it was more a sense of an inward journey than an actual physical journey elsewhere so i at at the end of the day though what i liked was she was given a choice between going back to her daughter or like evolving into godhood or something Mm -hmm. and she's like I, my daughter needs me. I have to go back. But then the t- the machine gets broken when um, Tick comes through. And he obviously also went through some kind of weird journey because he came back with a book. Like, all of that. Yeah, that, that part was confusing. Because, I, I mean, just at the moment that she makes that choice, and I, I thought, well, that choice is key. Um, so I'm expecting her to come back to the world. Right. And instead, she's nowhere to be seen. The The... Uh, whatever that portal was closes up right after Atticus comes through. Right. And we I'm sure we'll eventually find out where he went to. But I want to know where she is because <laughs> she made a very key choice. And and we've yet to see the result of that. So yeah, I'm I'm kind of up in the air as far as how they resolved that particular episode. Alright, uh next up we're gonna talk about uh transplant and I actually looked it up and we're actually on episode four which is called Selah and it's the episode where um, the the doctor is actually in two places at once he's trying to deal with the cases that he has at the hospital and he's got an old friend from Syria that is uh, trying to voice chat with him as some girl's leg gets crushed and they're trying to talk through an amputation. It's insanity. But in a good way. 
Uh, David, you want to start off? Not really. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you can anyway. Go ahead. I'm, I'm a little farther ahead on the, on the series than that. Um, but I remember this, the episode where he was um, trying to, you know, it's a standard, you know, theme or whatever that shows do where they have they have characters, good characters, building secrets that they don't want to reveal to people. Right. And they start doing these things, and then all of a sudden it comes out, and everybody's, you know, it's and there's a there's a lot of secrets going on, being built. At, I think at that point um, in the series, and so he tries to do something good and doesn't tell people what he's doing, and then he gets in trouble. And you know, um, I don't. I think that's a little uh, played. I mean, it's it's a little trite to keep doing that. But, but I mean, I understand he's uh, uh, struggling to uh, you know to balance things, and he's he owes his allegiance to some friends and people in the past, and he's trying to build a new life and all that stuff. Um, but he doesn't handle it in a way that I think you know a smart enough guy should. But um, uh, but yeah, I mean, he, he goes in and, and is trying to help his friend remotely and in, and drafts uh, another colleague in to help because he has to go uh, to take care of a patient. Um, and uh, um, I'm trying to think of what else happens in that episode. Um, well, I mean, it ends up catching up with him, obviously. But Right. The main thrust is the head doctor basically tells him, great job saving the girl's life. Don't ever do that again. Right, because that's that's the the repeating thing with him too. Is he breaks all these rules because he's trying to be a good guy, and everybody like, but stop doing that, you know. And it's it's a it's a little too repetitive in my opinion. But Allison, your thoughts? Well, you know, I think I've said before that for me, the strongest part of this series is when they do address the the aspect of of him having fled the other country. He's an immigrant. Um, you know, there's the, the this refugee community, and his friend is part of that. And his friend is not getting the lucky breaks that that he got. And I kind I understand and I sympathize with his desire to help his friend, especially because it it looks like, and, and from the very first episode, we get this impression that his his friend has gone to lengths to help him. Right. So there's a sense of you know he he owes him. Um, but of course that, you know, as soon as he does that, he puts his own status in danger. So walking this tightrope, you know, that, that he is as a new immigrant to this country and other people who, whose status is in question, even though his friend is equally likely to be killed if he were to go back, um, I think is just an interesting issue to address. And I like seeing it played out with the character because it isn't just you know a kind of a black and white oh well he shouldn't do this if he were smarter it's it's a lot of different issues playing together and and weighing on him right and some survivor guilt too yeah absolutely and and you know it's it's a morally complex thing so when the show gets into that area that's when I really kind of wake up and go, yeah, give me more of this. So that was, this was an episode I really enjoyed. I don't, I don't disagree that, that there's more to it and that there's that moral dilemma, but I just feel like it isn't, it isn't drawing me in in that way because of the way that they, that they approach it, the way that he, the way that he handles it um, doesn't seem thoughtful enough or something enough to really engage me. I think it's just, Seems like he's not as smart as he should be to me, but that's just my opinion. Mm-hmm. I see both of your points. Uh, I can kind of see, like, I feel like 
at certain points, I thought like he should have told the other doctor sooner. Um, I think he was right to do to help that guy. Like, oh, sure. I really think he should have done it. But maybe he should have told the doctor whose advice he asked. He should have told him sooner what was going on. Yeah. Than later. But other than that, I thought I agree with like everything he did because he didn't really keep it a secret. Secret. Like he did a little bit at the beginning, but I feel like the cat was out of the bag relatively quickly. Well, he was trying to get away with something, though, and I think he, he's a smart enough guy. He should have figured out a better way to do that than to just run into another room and hide and get a, get caught eventually. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, oh. Well, though, he, he didn't really get caught eventually. Well, actually, he did get caught. You're right. Him and the friend got caught uh, by the overall boss. That's true. All right. right. Uh, let's move on. Uh, next up, we're going to talk about Lower Decks, and this episode was crazy. In a good way. I actually, I really liked it. It was um, basically Boimer? Boimer. And uh, what's the... Mariner. I, it was really... It was a look in a Mariner's psyche, which was terrifying. Like, she really did need therapy. Uh, the fact that the entire mission was she wanted to defeat her mother to the point where she wanted to kill her, that was not healthy at all. And it was a really, it was really scary. I was like, "What is wrong?" And she's like, "Yeah, this is the best therapy." And I was like, "I don't know if that was the best therapy," uh, but it did end up making her face herself, which I thought was interesting. Uh, Peter, what did you think? I enjoyed it, and I thought that for a show that is, you know, it's mostly, it's mostly sort of a procedural. It's like we're, it's a show about you know these characters that we don't get to see normally because we're not on the bridge in a Star Trek universe. But it's got a huge surprise at the end, like, um, which is that because they're basically using the holodeck to do this movie version of an old Star Trek, an like 80s Star Trek movie type thing, he finds out about the mother-daughter connection. So I right. was like, oh, like, because uh, is next week the finale? Yes. Because like, yes. that's pretty big. Like, so I thought that was pretty good. I did have one tiny, I guess because it is Star Trek that like sometimes you know as as a there are things in sci-fi and stuff that I can be a little nerdy about some things I'll just let, let it go be like yeah whatever but like okay wait so it's the holodeck totally fine holodeck and as we all know it's like it's a room it's a space that you that you occupy but everything around you is virtual totally fine but then they're sort of watching it like a movie I don't so the scene where basically her uh, Mariner's like kind of like evil version um, basically destroys the Cerritos and then you see this exterior shot of the ship falling apart and like the dish. We I think I want to say one of the Star Trek movies actually did this like the, the dish hits the ground and like rolls. Do you guys yeah. remember? But that wouldn't happen because the whole thing is just made up. And there's no, like, the characters would never see that external shot. So I was like, well, wait, that's kind of weird. I don't know. It's so nerdy, but did that occur to you guys when you were watching it? Because it's yeah. a holodeck. So they're not, not really, it, it got lost in the fact that they were doing such a parody of the, the Star Trek movies. Right. And, you know, right. even yeah. to the, the size yeah. of the frame changed, shifted, you know, to the uh, the widescreen format. And I'm like, okay, I'm I know they're parodying it, and I didn't think about the fact that it's supposed to still be on the holodeck. So to me, it didn't yeah, bother. Yeah, I thought, yeah, it worked for me too. 
it took me out of it. Like again, I still like the show. It's very enjoyable. Um, but but it was very fun. And of course, Libya, what you said is halfway true because it it begins as an episode about she does this therapy, this holodoc therapy, holodoc therapy to rid herself of the conflict with her mother. But it really becomes a conflict within herself because it's it's two versions that she it's that's what that's the actual conflict. Right, it's not really. Right, a conflict. Right. Um, and of course, it's nice to see in the real world when she passes by her mom and she's in a really good mood. She's with her friends, which is what we, if you're a fan of the show, that's kind of what you want. You want them to like be able to be okay with who they are and also like the bridge people and everything. But yes, the twist at the end was really good. I was like, ooh, like so. So I, yeah, I thought it was enjoyable. I like this season. So yeah. Yeah, I think it's uh, kind of pretty good like season. The, uh, uh, the fact that they, um, portrayed that self that conflict that she started out being in conflict with her mother ended up finding out it was a conflict with herself and resolving it you know whether it was realistic or not or not I, I don't care but it was kind of that that progress that process you know was the outcome of this kind of fantasy parody episode um so i enjoyed it i mean i like the show in general and and i think uh, uh it's entertaining but this was a little bit of you know uh thoughtfulness i guess as well was was nice to have them add um but i'm surprised i guess i i didn't realize that he didn't know that boimler didn't know a mariner was the, the captain's daughter yeah that it had, been, it had been such a big secret i mean I, obviously it's a secret but they talk about it every episode they, they're like <laughs> conversation how could so how could nobody know and have have passed it through the the rumor mill that that you know somebody would that everybody else would know that too that best friend but i don't know and so, of course it, it and of course it means he ruins his interview with her hell right 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 put <laughs> it that stuff and i was like oh that's like she's like did not prepare for interview but yeah i thought it was funny it was kind of a cheap shot at Wimler, but yeah i mean that's yeah. that's his <laughs> that's his thing too all right well uh i think this is a good episode so thumbs up i can't wait for the finale um Next up, we're going to talk about Raised by Wolves. And when I say we, I mean Allison and David because I tapped out on the last episode. So, uh, Allison, do you want to start us off with the season finale of Raised by Wolves? What, do you, what did you think? Well, I think for me it's the series finale of Raised by Wolves um, because I, after that, it's just, I've, I, you know, I have said from the beginning that I would not be watching this if there was really anything else on, you know, as an alternative. And uh, I, you know, pretty much stand by that. There's nothing that changed my mind except that I don't care if the only thing other than this is a test pattern. I'm not coming back for season two. We got all the way through ten episodes of this and we finally get to, to their season finale and they managed to answer exactly zero questions and instead just put a, a, an absolute garbage dump of more questions on top of that and things that make no sense. And, I mean, I don't know how specific you want me to get about what happened with the finale. I mean, we were complaining before about the robot being pregnant, and now we find out she's pregnant with a flying lamprey. And, you know, it's... I, it, swear to god and um and you know then they try to commit suicide by 
plunging down one of those holes and getting, I guess, to the planet's core, which somehow they're able to shoot straight through and be perfectly <laughs> fine afterward. And and it absolutely zero made sense. Nothing made sense. And then uh, I guess there, in addition to the uh, to to the Mithraic who came aboard a colony ship, there's now a, a group of atheists who came aboard a colony ship, and and Travis Fimmel is is has got super ninja skills now and you know superpowers, and he's able to to kill them all with abandon. And it, it just absolutely none of it held together in the slightest none of it made any sense none of it answered any questions it just got weirder it's like they just let the drugs kick in and rolled with it whatever came into their heads is what ended up on the script and I'm done yeah I thought um, I was I was disappointed to say to say the least um, that uh, the ending it was just so dark and it was so like you know they they kind of, in my opinion, they kind of wrapped up some of the, the things that, that were questions by sort of making them irrelevant. Um, I mean, finding out that the it wasn't really a pregnancy, but it was a, an infestation more than anything mm-hmm. else. Uh, and, you know, but then it turned into this horrible thing where it's just like everybody lost except the, the, giant, the giant snake or whatever. <laughs> um, and, you know, I like what they what they set out to do and through the thing, the themes of um, spirituality, faith, religion versus science. I mean, I love that idea, but they just did not fulfill that. that they're going to do something useful with it. Um, the only thing that I, that I felt that I got out of it that I thought was useful was that basically you could never really tell what was true and what was false based on what you thought was based on science, what you believed as a, as a, religious or spiritual person and they were playing with you know who's who's who does the audience believe is really correct or or honest or honorable and they uh you know they could have done a lot more with that um they they kind of brought the issue up and asked the question and made it played with it a few times but it didn't really resolve to a way that i'm that i'm feeling comfortable about um or feel like it helped me in any way in my own you know, thought process or my own philosophy. So, you know, had potential. If they have a second season, I don't know if they're going back or whatever. Yeah, they were I might, renewed. I, I might watch it just again if it's if it's because I've already watched the season. I I tend to just, just to things until there's a really good reason to stop watching them, and uh, or if there's something better to watch. But uh, so it'll be on my list. But it'll be at the bottom of my, bottom of my list to watch. Yeah, no, it's not, it's not on mine. I just, I it reached the point where I know they have no idea what they're doing, and they're just randomly throwing things at the wall, and <laughs> I don't need another season of that. Let me ask you a question. I know we're trying to speed things along, but I'm just curious because I only saw the pilot. Um, do you guys think you would be a little easier on this if instead of it being executive produced and directed, first two episodes by Ridley Scott? Um, if it wasn't directed by Ridley Scott and it wasn't on HBO Max, which me, which I think we would think spent some money, if this was like a first season Hulu original from a couple years ago and a lot of the Hulu stuff was like, eh, this is all right, do you think you guys would be a little easier on it? Be like, eh, whatever, it's fine. But because it is Ridley Scott and it is HBO Max, I think maybe we expect a little more. Or are you guys saying, no, it would have... 
Does that make sense? Because I no, mean, I'm not not for me anyway. I'm 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 using I, I'm judging it entirely on its own merits, and whether it was it, it produced by Ridley Scott or not, whether it was HBO Max or not, it it wouldn't change what I think of the actual quality of the show. And it's just an incredibly disappointing. It did, you know, as has been pointed out, have a bunch of interesting ideas going into it. But then it, they just didn't do anything interesting with it and, and could never seem to settle on a point of view about it. So, uh, yeah, it was just a mess. Yeah, I think if it was somebody else on some more obscure um, outlet, I probably would have paid less attention to it and would have been it would have been easier for me to drop it because I'm like, oh, it's Ridley Scott. It's on HBO Max. I should probably watch this because other people are going to watch it, or you know, I should know about it. Blah blah blah. So, um, but that's uh, you know, that's that's my thought um, as far as that. And and I do think that uh, I had another point, but I forgot. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> I was just going to say it was it was so nonsensical that it doesn't matter what network it was on. I would have still tap. I tapped out earlier, and the only reason I tapped out at like episode three and then everybody was like well this is happens and maybe this is good and blah 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 so i came back and watched a few more episodes and i was like this is trash like i was right the first time oh, so, yes, the yes thing, you were the thing, you I, were. the thing i thought of or remember what i wanted to say which was that i still don't feel like there's character you know the only characters that i really liked there was there was you know or related to or whatever there was one of the characters um i guess what's her name the uh the pregnant girl was like the most relatable to me, the rel yeah. most relatable character in a small part. It's like, if she had a bigger part, I would be more invested, more interested too, but she wasn't really that big a part. The, you know, the, the two kid, two Paul and what's his name? Uh, Campton or Camden Cam or Cam Cam Compton. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, something like that. Were not that interesting to me. The, the two fake parents were not that interesting. Mother and father were not that interesting. It's just, it, I didn't relate to the characters that were the leads as much so yeah um, for... I liked father the best to be honest I thought yeah, he, was he was really interesting. interesting he was kind of interesting yeah anyway well let's move on uh, next up we're going to talk about Emily in Paris and this is Peter's fault that we watched this so it's I, it's your fault just, you yeah. recommended it so therefore you didn't, hate, you didn't hate it or anything like no I like... didn't but I would like you to lead the discussion why did oh. you tell us that we should watch this show. Well, you know, I um, I have only seen the first couple of episodes of Ted Lasso, and you guys love it. And I do really want to get back to Ted Lasso. But I think that, especially in the times we're living in, um, while we are all still watching boy the boys and everything, it's still kind of nice to have these, like, lighter shows. Um, so Emily in Paris is uh, it's Darren. It's, it's created by um, Darren Starr who's probably big claim to fame is Sex and the City. I think he's done a lot of stuff, but I, I think he also did, like, Melrose Place and everything. But really, like, the 90s Sex and the City is the big thing. So essentially, Emily in Paris stars Lily Collins, and it's essentially the city is now Paris. Um, she plays an American who sort of by chance, because her boss, who was supposed to go to Paris, gets pregnant, and so she is now going to Paris for what we think is an indefinite amount of time to basically be uh, kind of like the marketing go-between with the um, American conglomerate that bought a French, um, I guess, 
I mean, they have a for perfume client. They seem to have a lot of different things. But I think they're. I think they're marketing. Aren't they marketing? She's marketing. Are they all marketing? But anyways, it's essentially the show is a, it's a it's a half hour show. It's an excuse to basically, you know, if you have your one of those, you know, our a nice 4K television or whatever. Paris is really gorgeous. Like the setting, the when they do the external shots of Paris, it looks so good. It's like when you go to Best Buy and you'll see either nature or cityscapes. Like that's how good it looks, except that it's actually a TV show. Um, and the costumes are great. That's why I, I, you know, Houston's not on it, but I would be curious to see what she thinks of the outfits and everything. As far as the actual plot and stuff, it's really reliant. Just like Sex and the City was reliant on. Sarah Jessica Parker and eventually the rest of the ensemble. This is very much reliant on do you find Lily Collins like charming? And I do. I think she, she I think her character can be a little arrogant, um, being in the American, trying to force her will into these stuffy old Parisians or whatever. But like I um I enjoyed it. I watched three episodes in a row, which I feel like is a compliment. Um I am by no means saying it's the greatest thing ever, but um I guess my biggest thing is because it is from Darren Star, and they do introduce a new character friend by, I think, the end of the pilot. I am curious to see if he is essentially going to build, like, a roster. If it's Even though the name is Emily in Paris, is it really going to be Emily and these other characters and stuff? Um, so, but look, I'm, I'm not saying you guys have to check this out. I, I, I think it's, it's a fun diversion. It looks really pretty, and I think she's... She's charming, but she's the right amount of, and Libya, I'll let you talk. She's the right amount of, like, arrogance that I think it gives her character something to grow. Because she definitely has stuff where I'm like, well, that was kind of a jerk move. Like, But I feel like she has to have some kind of growth. So, right. Libya, I'll let you talk. I, 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 I thought the best part was uh, when she meets the woman from China who tells her that in China, people are mean to you behind your back but in Paris they're mean to you to your face right. and because they were like calling her all these names and she she would look them up on like Google Translate and realize they just had insulted her so and they were just making like she was like hey let's have lunch and they were all making up excuses why they couldn't have lunch and then she sees them all having lunch without her so it seemed it was kind of like wow these guys are She's jerks kind of bad for her but she's a little pushy too she like, is, but I mean, also she's alone in this city, and she wants to make friends, and they very clearly did not want to be her friends. Yeah, yes, uh, I, like Ted Lasso. No matter what they throw at her, she really tries to be positive about this new job. I would right. say that. Yeah, and I, and I mean, I, I, she really doesn't have much of a choice to, uh, because her alternative is to just throw it all in and go home. But she right. loves the city of Paris itself, and. She thinks that if she can convince them, you know, to give her a shot, that she could do a good job. And that's just like, she's like, I just got to convince them to let me show them what I can do. But she does have that American arrogance, which somebody points out to her very justifiably. Like, she's like, why are you guys always being so mean to me? Because I came here, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, yes, you came to Paris and didn't learn a lick of French, nor do you seem that you want to. And she... And I'm just saying, and she was like, oh, you know what? She's like, I'd like to think that that is ignorance versus arrogance. And I was like, yeah. Right. And I like that she kind of like tries to resolve that. That's pretty right. cool. The story, 
the the narrative gives an excuse for why she doesn't know French because it was supposed to be her boss. That is why. Because it yeah, is. Yeah, but like, you also don't see she. She's like, well, I failed at Rosetta Stone. She she was like, but I failed at Rosetta Stone, so I'm just going to do English. Like she doesn't keep right. trying to learn French. Right. Right, Until right. you get to like episode two, where you see she's like on her runs in the morning, she's listening to French and she's right, actually right, right, trying right, to learn yeah. it, um, which she should have been doing all along. True. Um, um, go ahead. But I again, it's it's. Um, I think AV Club said that they liked the the clothes and the setting more than the actual story, and I'm like, yeah. I mean, it's. I, but to be fair, I don't think this is trying. You're not. I don't think anybody watching this is is like supposed to be wrapped up in this very tight narrative. It's like, no, it's, it's, you know, she's hopefully you like her and you just like this journey or whatever. It's so, cute. Yeah. I'll give you that. That's, yes. Um, but yeah, so I am enjoying it. So. Uh, Allison, I don't, did you get a chance to watch it or no? No, I didn't. Uh, okay. It sounds like something that, that I would be interested in though, especially because, you know, the beautiful pictures of Paris and, I was supposed to go to Paris this year, but a little Aww. thing called COVID intervened, intervened, so it's the closest I'm going to get. <laughs> well, that's a depressing thought, but okay. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on. Uh, next up, we're going to talk about uh, Nurse Ratchet, meaning uh, Peter's going to talk about Nurse Ratchet. It's actually just called Ratchet. Oh, okay. Um, so it's, although it's Ratchet with an E-D, I guess that's how it's pronounced, Ratchet, but her name is actually E-D, but... Um, I've seen the first three episodes. It's um, Ryan Murphy regular. It's a lot of Ryan Murphy regulars, but the main one is Sarah Paulson. So, if you've ever seen One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest from the 70s, the Jack Nicholson film where he goes to an institution where they do lobotomies, Nurse Ratchet in the film is... I mean, I would the movie itself is really more of a psychological thing, but if there is a if there's a human villain in the movie, it's her. So when I heard that Ryan Murphy was like, oh, I'm going to do a whole show about Ratchet, I kind of thought he was basically doing Wicked. Because as you recall, it, um, and I know Allison knows much more about uh, Broadway and theater, but you know, Wicked is basically like the Wicked Witch of the West really wasn't Wicked. She really is a good person. Like that's that's the whole hook of that, of that show. That is not what this is. Like... <laughs> She is pretty much evil from, like, frame one. She is a, like, very... Uh, she's a know-it-all who thinks she's better than everybody. And in some ways, she is smarter and stuff. Um, but it starts a little shaky with a a serial killer who, who murders a bunch of priests. And the narrative is basically... It's 1947, so that's, like, a pretty shocking thing that this serial killer guy uh, happened. And I think it's... I want to say it's like Northern California and she really wants to work at the facility where this serial killer is going to be put. He's going to be brought there. And of course, some people just want to do death penalty and they're like, no, 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 we, maybe we can rehabilitate him. And like, that's part of the argument. And so she has, we don't know why in the, I don't necessarily want to give away, but the pilot, we don't necessarily know why, but she very much wants to work at this institution so much so that, she'll pretty much get somebody either fired or force them to leave another nurse. Um, but I would say, like, that's the story, but the narr the the tone is very much, and Allison, um, that's why I was hoping you would get to see it, it's very much 
a Ryan Murphy American Horror Story type vibe. It's like the sets are gorgeous, the the colors are really nice. It has that like kind of uh, late seventies, early eighties like horror vibe or whatever. Which the the music is some of the music. Like, the opening is literally the Bernard Herrmann score from Psycho. Like, they just took that and used it. Um, like, it... I really like that vibe. And it also means that you have um, Judy, David, uh, Judy Davis, Sharon Stone. You have a lot of, like, kind of vampy actresses. Or, or actresses that are, like, vamping it up. But I really like that. I think when Ryan Murphy pulls that off, he does it really well. I think the problem with a lot of American Horror Story is that sometimes his pitch for the season just isn't very interesting. It's just like, well, that's not that great. And so after three episodes, I'll like tap out. Um, but this one, I'm liking it so far. And I really like Sarah Paulson. I mean, Allison, I know you haven't seen Ratchet, but I would, I think you would agree. I think Paulson is one of the stronger actors in the Ryan Murphy ensemble. Would you agree? Oh yeah. No, I love her. I think she's terrific. And when I saw the commercials for this, it looked like something that I, I was interested in seeing. I heard, you know, various reviews after it, it actually debuted that were not so generous toward it. Um, and the, you know, the one thing that gets me because I do remember the movie very clearly is that it was really psychological horror more than anything else. It wasn't, there wasn't anything, really overt it wasn't grand guignol and uh, you know ryan murphy has a tendency to to lean into that grand guignol area and and to to the point of campiness and the original um movie was not remotely like that nurse ratchet's real horror was that she was the kind of person who we have all met um you know we all know somebody like that and i so I'm sort of wondering, I mean, is she still uh, identifiable in that in that sense? Or have they really just gone, you know, completely melodrama with, with her character to the point where she's a cartoon? Uh, I'd say it's kind of, again, with me using the words like vampy, I would say that the tone is, is more towards, like, cartoon. There is a there is a psychological there's an there's an oppressiveness to the institution that can feel psychological um and i would say that it's not except for the opening the opening serial killer moment which is more just like a weird prelude that's kind of bloody but the show itself no not necessarily so far not yet there isn't it's not as like american horse or can just lop people heads off left to, no it's not like that um but it's definitely leaning into the camp. The another thing would be, uh, you know, uh, what is what's the one? Uh, uh, Faye Dunaway, Joan Crawford. Um, oh yeah. Um, with a wire hanger. The, right, uh, mommy dearest. It's that's same kind of thing. Like when she, there's a scene where she kind of has to give this speech, and it very much is that like this isn't my first rodeo, like Faye Dunaway type vibe. Mm -hmm. uh, but I really enjoy that. But you're right, though. It is that is not one flew over the cuckoo's nest. It's, it's like that's not what Milos Foreman was going for at all. That's not necessarily bad, but you know, I don't know. I look. I watched the pilot of Hollywood, and I love that era of Hollywood. So I was very excited, and I was out. I was like, I don't like this. Like, and I heard people didn't really care for it. So this it started strong and didn't stay that way. Yeah. Oh my God! So wait, the pilot—that was one of the better episodes. Was the pilot of, of Hollywood? Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would say give it, look, if you're a fan of Ryan Murphy, and I think, Allison, you do like some of his stuff, I would say give it, yeah, give it a shot. See what you think. All okay. right. Let's move on. Uh, next up, we're going to talk about Fargo. The first two episodes dropped on Sunday uh, last week, and I watched the first one and did not watch the second one. Uh, for a very specific reason, and I'll, ta- I'll me and Allison will talk about it a little bit. But I'd say, like, it starts off in well, it starts off in a couple of the main story is happening late in the fifties is when the actual story is happening. But they do these flashbacks to show the evolution of the gangs, and and we're also in Kansas City, Kansas, Missouri, Kansas Missouri, City, Missouri, uh, instead of in Fargo, which is weird. Um, but they do flashbacks to show the evolution of the gangs, how it started off with the Jews and then went to the Irish and then went to the Italians. And now Chris Rock with the black gangs have shown up and they showed the transition of powers, meaning how bloody they are going from one gang to another. And then you have a narrator of this little girl from the fifties, a little black girl from the fifties who's narrating the whole thing. And I'm like, first of all, how does she know all of this? Um, and so it's strange having this girl narrate and her story seems very different than the gang story that's going on. And I know I only watched the first episode, but it didn't grab me is really what my issue is, is that I felt everything was, was relatively predictable and there weren't any characters that made me go, oh, wow, I got to see what happens to that person. So, Allison, what what did I miss? Um, well, you know, I, I, I agree with you in, on the sense that there's really no standout character for me yet. I, I really, and I think, you know, we were talking before, actually, um, when Peter brought up, well, would you look at Raised by Wolves differently if it had been uh, produced by a different person, like a nobody? And where Fargo is concerned, I have to say, I the reason that I, I tuned in and the reason that I'm sticking with it is because of all the previous seasons of Fargo, which have been incredibly strong and really entertaining. So that there's this legacy that's that's letting me tune in and, and keeping me glued to it. If this were a brand new show, if I hadn't seen it before... I don't know that I'd be all that excited about continuing to watch it at this point. This is not one of their strongest seasons. I'm I'm finding it very hard to get into the story and to, to really care about the characters. And I've seen the first two episodes, so I've had two hours of this, and there's stri- still really nobody who stands out. I mean, there are actually... Well, there's one character that stands out, but not in a good way. <laughs> not Who are you that, talking about? Wow, I'm... I'm rooting for that, and that's the uh, the nurse character, Orietta Mayflower. So weird and not yeah, and I was just like, what does she have to do with anything else that's going on? Why do I care about her? There's more of that in in episode two, but only in the sense that you realize, you know, this is this is a psychotic. This this yeah, she's totally crazy. Yeah, I, I picked that up already. And then there's that shot at the end of the first episode where the little girl. You find out that they live across the street from each other. Mm-hmm. When the little girl goes in the house and they pan across from her house to the nurse's apartment and there's a weird, creepy dude standing in the street. I was like, who the heck is that guy? Is this a ghost story? Have, have we switched genres? Like, what is happening? Um, and I just... It feels all over the place. And 
Chris Rock is doing a fine job for the character that he's playing, but I just don't care. Like, I just... They, they haven't made me... Because... Fargo is usually from the point of view of the cops trying to fight, fight a criminal, and we see both sides. But we're not with the cops at all. We're with this little girl instead. And I just, I don't see the story. I don't see this feeling like a Fargo story. Yeah, well, they do tie in that more in, in episode two, because you, you suddenly discover that her family has, has in, in need of a loan, went to the wrong people to get it. Well, yeah, they, she, they obviously so went to the mob. Yeah. Right. But so so the, you see that connection there. But why we are looking through this through the eyes of the girl as the narrator, that still isn't clear, especially when we're seeing lots of scenes that, that she, she would have not no have idea, right. privy to. Yeah, there, she couldn't have possibly been there. She couldn't have possibly seen it. And yet, you know, we're we're getting it from her point of view. So it's it's just kind of... I, I mean, I'm going to keep watching to, to Also, see I'd like to point out that together. her father, the actor playing her father, is terrible. Like, I felt like he must have bribed or blackmailed somebody to get that role. Like, well, he's, he's not doing much. I mean, Even you know, just him saying his lines, I was like, is the script in front of him right now? Like, he sounds like he's reading. <laughs> he doesn't seem like he, he is not an actor. He's, mm. he's awful. And he's distracting and how bad he is. Um, but yeah, it's yeah. Fargo's not impressing this season. I'll yeah, well, wait. I'm you, it'll get better. You keep watching, and I'll wait. You tell me if it's any good. All right. Uh, next up, let's talk about Ted Lasso, and we're going to talk about episodes four through six. And the first episode, episode four, is called "For the Children," which is uh, the big annual charity benefit, which is fantastic. Because this is the first episode where we get uh, her ex-husband really shows up. Anthony Stewart had. And we find out what a terrible person he is. He is so, he is not a good man. And you're like, oh, this is why she divorced him. And my question is, why did she stay married to him so long? That's the other thing. He he does not seem like a nice guy uh, at all. Uh, David, do you want to chime in? A little bit? Sure. We're doing all three episodes at once? Well, let's do the first one first. I really like the charity event. I thought that was a fantastically fun episode. Yeah. I mean, it makes me think of the uh, the morning show uh, banquet, the charity event, too. But uh, but it's – you like you said the the main thing we see is the is the ex husband and how much of a dick he is. Um, can I say dick on your podcast? Yeah, you um, have. So just okay. keep on going. <laughs> uh, and um, you know, see, being a little more sympathetic to her to the owner, um, which is good because I mean I I like that there was an adversarial thing that the whole thing was based on the premise that she was only trying to screw him over. So Ted's caught in the middle, but the relationship, you see that she's not just out to screw him. I mean, she's out to screw him, but she's softening because Ted is such a nice guy and and building that relationship and having a, a little more sympathy for her, um, I think works really well. Um, so yeah, I, I, I enjoyed that. Uh, Allison, your thoughts on this one? Um, well, I loved this episode, and I loved, you know, Anthony Stewart Head as the husband was fantastic. He was as absolutely awful as you could have imagined him being, and then some. 
um, and watching his manipulation of her because it was so, you know, if you've ever seen somebody who is abusive in action, everything that he did was right. just exactly right. And I mean, to the point where he just, he was utterly hateful. And, you know, you were saying before, why does she stay with him? I think it's because she just, she she doesn't have a lot of confidence in herself, even though she seems to be the kind of person who would have all the confidence in the world. She, deep down, you know, there's something else there that, that really is not as, as self-assured. And being with him, you know, there's the effect of being with somebody abusive, you know, just constantly working at that and and giving her making her feel less and less and less. Right. Um, so I think you know it becomes like a cycle where where people stay with their abuser because they think that that's not really abuse or it's what they deserve. So I think she was kind of the victim of that. Yeah. Yeah. I think you also. Could see it, way, yeah. I think also the way that those relationships work seems to be that when he's turning his charm on, and if she was the focus of what he wanted. He would turn his, turn his charm on her oh, and sure. win her over in a second, and then he would flip it off and be on something else, and she'd feel abandoned and all the things, all the reasons that you know she feels now she wants to be away from him, but uh, and hates him so much. But uh, you know that's that's it's it is a very in theory it is a very believable thing, and he plays the villain so well. He's 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 so good at uh, oh, yeah. at, at you know being that bad guy and and just making you want to hate him. Well, and then also we had the little love triangle, the beginning of the love triangle between uh, Keely and Jamie and Roy. who's the other guy? Uh, Roy. Roy. Uh, yeah. So you see the beginning of that love triangle happening, and it was actually really pretty cool. And she breaks up with Jamie because she realizes that he played her during the thing, uh, during this yeah, he, whole thing. He brought his extra girlfriend. <laughs> like, who does that? <laughs> He's kind of a dick too. Yeah, he like bro, like who brings two girls? Like he brought his backup girlfriend and his regular girlfriend, and thought that they wouldn't like like it was dumb. And he had her seated, got an extra ticket. Like it was crazy. They were practically seated next to each other. Oh too. my god! I was like, he's wow. He's a different kind of dick. He's the, the oblivious dick. He's because he's so self-involved that he doesn't realize that he's doing anything to anybody else. Yeah, he doesn't see that it's a problem, right? Yeah. And he was really confused, like, when she broke up with him, he really didn't understand. <laughs> he was like, what? I don't... What's happening? Like, yeah, he was really confused. Uh, but let's move on to the next one, which is when Ted's family comes to visit him. So we finally get to meet his wife and his son, and we see why he came to London. We understand... Like, we got a feeling that there was something going on with his marriage, but when his wife shows up and they actually talk about it, you really understand what's happening, that their marriage has problems. Their marriage is in serious trouble. And uh, it's the fir for a comedy, I'd say it was the first kind of emotionally poignant episode where you really got in the feels for it. There's, there's moments of, of uh, drama in a lot of the episodes, but this was a kind of a bigger arc that you saw ooh this is just a really sad situation I mean right. you don't want these people to be in this situation because they, you want to like them you like them and you want them to all be together but you realize that it's not always possible to be that way and and they do it really well he's he's just he just says all the right things he's just such a well written character that you, you want to be him you know <laughs> yeah uh, Allison your thoughts 
Um, I loved this episode. And, you know, normally when we see characters more developed, it's because we're seeing, like, you know, the, the, the positive side of them. Well, we've been getting nothing but the positive side of Ted through this. And this right. humanized him by actually showing that he is, you know, his life is not perfect. Right. And he can't stay sunshiny and happy through everything. There, there are certain things that break through that wall and his family. And, and that was the other thing. Oh, and his wife says she didn't like that about him, that he was so sunshiny and positive. Yeah, yeah. That was like, <laughs> I, guess, I guess, you know, if you were actually living with someone who was like that, it might get a little tiring after a while. It's, you know, I mean, how do you live up to that? But, uh, you know, I mean, obviously that there, there were issues. And seeing him become more human and react to that and... and Especially when he had, you know, like a, a, a panic attack right. when, when they went out. Uh, oh, that karaoke. doesn't happen yet. That happens. Oh, is that the next? Sorry. Yeah, I think that's the next, the, next, the next episode. Yeah, that's the next yeah. episode. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen them also. They kind of bled together. But, but yeah, it was, it was just, it was a wonderfully humanizing episode. It's like, no, we're not dealing with just this happy, perky cartoon guy. He's a real human being, and he has real issues. And there, there are times where he can't be, you know, the the happiest, nicest guy in the room. So I, I really enjoyed that. It was, it was a great episode. Yeah. And then the last one we want to talk about is Two Aces, where in the last episode Jamie got benched during a game, and everybody was so shocked. And so in Two Aces, Jamie refuses to practice. He claims that he's injured because that's his protest to being benched. And then they get uh, Danny Rojas comes back, who's been on the DL list, and he finally comes back, and he's as good as Jamie. And everybody's like, what? We have a uh, another player that's that good? And he's like, I can't believe my luck. And then by the end of the day, Danny's injured again, which is great. And they're like, we have a hex. We have to fix the hex. And so it's a really good bonding episode because... In order to remove the hex, it requires all the characters to sacrifice something that they love to this bonfire, and they all have to talk about it. And so you really get a really good moment of all the characters saying something about themselves as they sacrifice some trinket to the bonfire. And I thought that was also great. I mean, it was a good... You really feel them coming together as a team. Yeah, I thought it was a... I thought it was a sweet moment, a sweet you know thing that they did to have that um, around the uh, the bucket of fire burning things and they said uh, they started out in the room and said you know we should probably put this fire outside <laughs> a little comedy even in that moment and it was a really sweet thing to have all those characters kind of bonding over that and making the sacrifice and you know that's something that the show does even even if it's a little not unrealistic to have them kind of it feels a little like they they kind of bond too easily or too quickly because you only see them once a, you know every episode they're a little further along but it's it shows it in a way that's in principle very believable that you know and you want to believe you want to believe that people can change and people can grow together and people can you know get beyond their um their foibles and frailty and whatever and finding that Ted Lasso character that inspires them to do that and brings them all together. It's just a, it's a really heartwarming story. And I, and I just, uh, I like watching the show. I'm sad that I've gotten to the end and now I have to wait for next season, but fortunately there is a next season, right? Yeah. I, I believe I so. It was I believe so. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with, I mean, you know, if someone had told me that, 
you were going to see a, a TV show that had a really life affirming e- exorcism. Um, I, I, I would have questioned that, but Ted Lasso <laughs> managed to actually do it. Yeah. Um, because it really it wasn't about you know so much as as getting rid of a ghost, as it was bonding together and and doing something life affirming, saying okay you know this is something that I cared about but I'm moving forward. And, and each of them, as you said, got to talk about that. So we got the, the twin elements of not only getting to know more about each character, but also seeing them grow together. Yeah. And I love that. All right. Well, we need to move on. Thumbs up for Ted Lasso. Mm-hmm. So next week, we'll probably wrap it all up. Uh, next up, we're going to talk about The Boys. This is episode seven. And this episode Still is has a completely different vibe from Ted Lasso. <laughs> it's like yes. 180 degrees. Yes, that is true. Um, and this episode uh, had a, a crazy open, which was they basically showed how somebody becomes radicalized. They had this guy just like listening to the news all the time, and it was always on. He was just listening to it all, you know, and, and it made him believe that he had to do something and what he did was the absolute wrong thing he shoots this guy that he's known for you know he's been his his grocer or whatever forever and because he's got these voices literal voices being news pundits in his ears telling him that this guy is other this guy is alien this guy is evil he walks up to him and shoots him you yeah know? it's a com- it's a commentary on today's society. oh absolutely i i, I agree yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, I think that that it's done in a way that we can we can tolerate it a little more because it's superheroes and you know whatever. But uh, but it's it, it's definitely they integrated it in a in a, a well done way. Um, and uh, you know, that's this whole show is a kind of a commentary in a lot of ways on social social you know society and the way that uh, we don't get along and the. the the trends and the problems that we're having today. So, um, yeah, I, I, I liked it. I th- it's it's a very bloody, very gory show. This is certainly no exception. This episode, um, <laughs> no. but despite that, it's kind of fun. Uh, yeah, no. What, what I, impressed me so much too about that opening um, is that you know, when ever we look at everything that's been happening in this last year. Uh, it seems incredibly timely and we just sort of say okay well they looked at that and just you know did their own version of it but they they filmed this a year ago right um and and you just look at this and and wonder oh my god it's they're so prescient about realizing where everything was going um and it is it is horrifically timely yeah so yeah. I, I that that opening, even though as I was watching it, I knew exactly where it was going to go. It was it still had me riveted. It really did. Uh, and then, as far as the the next part of the story, we have uh, Stormfront and Homelander doing their spiel in front of a big crowd, you know, spewing their message. But also, there's that moment where Stormfront's like, "Ooh, I want a baby," and and Homelander's like, "Oh, I already have one. Let's go uh-huh. grab him." Uh, Peter, I know this is your favorite part of the story. So, <laughs> uh, did, what, what about the story didn't work for you? Because I'm going to give you that. Because I already well, know you didn't work. I, I agree with everybody. I thought the opening was terrific. I thought that stuff's great. 
that 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 opening is awesome. Um, I think my issue was more that this is the second to last episode, and it felt very much like didn't feel like a lot happened. I mean, stuff happened, I guess, but I don't know. Um, I I think what's tricky to me about like Homelander and Stormfront basically going to take kidnap his kid. Um, I think what's tricky about that is that like I, it feels a little like Stormfront is sort of manipulating Homelander so that when Homelander sees oh she's sad about a kid because she used to have a daughter his reaction is like to go kidnap his son and then they can be this family but like what's what's been tricky for me ever since it's been revealed ever since Stormfront's master plan has been revealed I've been a little disappointed with that character because I felt like her character doesn't have a lot of agency anymore. Where, like I've said this before, as, as terrible as Homelander is, his his terribleness comes from like personal things. And I felt like with Stormfront, it's like, well, so basically she married a Nazi, you know, Vought, and she's basically just taking his dream. It's not even really what her dream was, and it right. doesn't. That's very interesting, and so now it's like bleeding in even further where it's like well now I'm this is also our plan so of course of course she wants the little blue eyed boy and everything I, I, I get it I just don't something that's very interesting I, like I think now that, I assume oh I'm sorry David what were you going to say I was going to say I think I agree with what you're the, the crux of what you're saying and the way I interpret it is that he is evil but but there's a vulnerability you sense and you know why he's evil she is just evil and you don't really like see i don't feel like i know enough about her to say well it's okay or it's like there's some redeeming value or right. it was because she was you know tortured as a child or whatever you just say well she's right. just mad and she she's in in the in a totally sane mind or whatever and saying i'm gonna do this and he's like Oh, I don't know what to do. Let me, tell me what to do. So there's there's a rationale for him. She's so unsympathetic, though. Right. Well, she's a Nazi. Wait, no, no, you're right, Allison. But it's like the what the boys. I mean, in the first season, we have Deep, who is this horrible sexual, you know, predator, predator. rapist yeah. guy. Like, and in this season, he's basically been brainwashed by the cult which is another part of this episode and while i don't love deep even deep is given some quality of like ah sometimes i kind of feel bad for him even though he's terrible i think that's like stormfront was introduced as a character that we liked because she was bucking the seven she was like they're all phonies and you're like oh i kind of like this character and then it's like oh my god she's a nazi she's terrible (laughs) i guess i just don't and i and aya cash is great i i i I like her and everything she does so it's not her performance or anything i guess i just i'm either wondering is there a way for them to find something about her that is like gay or actually libya i think even you i think you said it on other podcasts like Homelander is also not a good person, but like he's pretty freaking compelling. Like right. he's terrible, but he's compelling. And I guess I'm, I guess I'm worried that what started off strong with Stormfront has now become a little, a little boilerplate. We were like, all right, she's a Nazi, she's terrible. Like I'm just like, and now we just need to defeat her 
Which I also, that's my other thing, is that we're moving into the end of the second season, I, or the end of the second season. I just don't, I'm not really sure narratively how much they're going to be able to accomplish with only one up, one episode left. I, I do agree with you there. That was one thing when it got to the end of the episode, and it was like, one more episode till the end. And I'm thinking, really? Because yeah. this doesn't feel like anything's been been even set up. Like, I, I don't see the dominoes set up to, right. to fall in the last episode. Everything just seems kind of there. It feels like a middle of the season kind of thing. Rather well, they than... blew the heads off all the dominoes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's one way of addressing the problem. Well, I mean, yeah, and see, here's, here's, here's my, my perspective on it. At the, Cause it looked like everything was all season was building up to this trial to bring down Vought. They were trying to get evidence so that the Senate would bring down Vought. They tried to bring down Vought, and they brought down the stocks, but they didn't bring down the company. So then they're like, okay, we have this. We're going to bring down the company. And when they get to the trial that looks like it's going to happen, heads start exploding left and right. And not only was that shocking, because at first I was like, well, uh, Homelander's going to want to kill that guy, but he can't do it on camera in front of everybody on C-SPAN. He can't kill this dude. And so I was like, okay, well, that's not going to work. They're going to have to let him testify. And then the heads started exploding. And I was like, whoa. So that, like, took all their plans for the season and literally blew them up. But I think where we're going next, this is only my hypothesis, is that we're going to find out, hopefully, who the head-exploding soup is, because we don't know who that is yet, and find out who is controlling that soup. And then it's also we know that the uh, um, the cult leader says he has a meeting with the head of Vault Edgar, which is Giancarlo Esposito. Right. So we'll find how the cult and Vault are linked, how that goes together. So that's pretty much what I'm hoping we find out in the last episode. Did we not find any? Did we not see exploding heads? And I thought we had some. We, we saw, saw one person's head explode well, earlier. Yeah, yeah, but we didn't see who did it. We have no so idea. So we assume it's the same person. We assume Correct. it's the same soup. That's what we right. think. Yeah, but yeah. it's an unknown. Okay. Now right. there's, we knew that there was that woman in the institution who can just make whole bodies explode. So they've pretty much shown that that's a power or whatever. But you're right. We don't know who's pulling the strings yet. Right. Like, so hopefully that will be what we get revealed in the finale. But. Oh, so I did like um, I liked Maeve taking out what's his name with you the are. Chunk with the almond joy. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Like that was that was good. Yeah, I like I like that she finally is stepping up and being on the right side because she kept waffling and saying, "Oh, he's got this leverage over me," but she, you know, you you know, she wanted to do right, but she just wasn't able to do it. But you know, now she's really, I think, on the right side and working for us. Yeah. I, I like right. Maeve. And Starlight is for sure out of the seven. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's the other thing is in this show, um, it would be easy. I mean, there, there's, for me, again, I have to relate to some character or identify with some character or be rooting for somebody. And there are people that I root for in this show, even though some of them are pretty despicable, but the other ones are pretty good. So, What did you guys think of the whole Billy... Billy confrontation with um, John is... Noble from Fringe, that whole thing. Oh, John Noble and Mrs. Daddy? Patmore? Yes, his parents. <laughs> wait, wait, and who? Wait, who? His Mrs. Dad. Patmore. From, uh, from Downton Abbey. Downton Abbey, yeah. Yeah. Oh, right. uh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, so what did you guys think of that moment? I mean, it was emotional for Billy Butcher, and we see, sure. like, what made him. Uh, and you, it makes you feel sympathetic to him, too. You know, you find out his backstory. 
And I was, but I was distracted because I was like, hey, they were in Lord of the Rings together. Hey, wasn't he his uncle in Lord of the Rings? So that was really, that was where my mind was going. I forgot Urban was in Lord of the Rings. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, yeah. So I was just I was totally distracted by something else entirely. Um but let's move on. We basically are thumbing saying thumbs up for this, but we're a little worried to see where the finale goes. Hopefully they will surprise us. We already know it's got renewed for season three, so it's not gonna be we're not gonna be left with a cliffhanger for long. Yeah, we're um, definitely hoping that they're gonna be able to that the good guys are gonna be able to come back after the bad guys just blew up half the, you know, everybody's head in the room. Yes. So everybody was going to prosecute them. What's their plan now? Yeah, I have no idea. Yeah. Hopefully we resolve it in another episode. All right. Next up, we're going to talk about Walking Dead World Eight. Beyond. And Peter, what was your actual alternate name for it? No, it was actually Allison's. Oh, thank you. What was your it name was, for it? Uh, Walking Dead Babies. Ha! <laughs> I wish that was the name of the yes, show. Yes, I, I called it <laughs> Walking Dead Muppet Babies. I think that's still a better name. But this was the YA version of Walking Dead. It's 10 years after the turn, which I've done my calculations, which means it's about the exact same time as the main Walking Dead. Um, but... And it's also the people that took Rick Grimes, right? It is the people... Well, the pe- not this group characters it's the organization yeah the organization that they're trying to make a alliance with the people in the helicopters are the ones that took rick grimes so and those characters were also on fear the walking dead like that the woman precisely was in a couple episodes of fear so we know this character which woman oh the the leader the leader of the people with the three triangle or circles uh she's been on several episodes of two episodes of fear i think so we know these characters and from what we've seen they are not good people so we have an advantage over the the people of this town because we know that they're not good uh and they slowly get that information unravels for them as they get these messages from the dad because the story is about these two twin i don't think they're twins these two sisters no, they're not they're not twins. Uh, no. These two sisters, their dad got taken by the group to do some scientific experiments to show trust, but he slowly starts sending them messages that let you know things are not what you hope, and so maybe not good, and uh, they have to decide what they're going to do, and at the end of the episode, they're like, we're going to go look for our dad, and it's like a super sort of saccharine, happy version of The Walking Dead, at least at the beginning, because everything is all sunshine and hunky-dory, because they don't really go outside until towards the end of the episode, where you actually see walkers and whatnot. Um, and then the very end is pretty dark. So, Allison, why don't you start first? What did you think of the show overall? Uh you know, it I, it took a long time to to get going. I was I was actually starting to get bored by about the halfway point, and just I, I was just thinking, oh please, just move this along. Let's get to where we're going to go, because they they took a very long time to set this up. It's like yes, we all anyone tuning into this already knows that the people coming in in the helicopters are evil, and that terrible things are going to happen, and these kids have got to be on the road somewhere so they can fight off the dead. And let's just get it going. And it, it did way more to set this up 
than than it needed to. And then the one thing actually they took really long to set it up, but at the same time they gave really short shrift to the two boys oh, who that's are true. accompanying yeah. the sisters. I mean they're they're just vacant. You know, they're they're almost ciphers. Well, really. I the will only say thing that, that we the know young, the, the, the smart young curly haired one, he's super charming. And so I liked him immediately. I like him as an actor and he's he's he strikes me as a a very good actor. He's sort of like 15 going on 35 acting wise. Right. Um, so he, he impresses me from that point of view, but his character really isn't given much until we get to that one moment at the, at the end where we discover out of millions of people. In I, the know! World, I know. I know. I was like, that is a beyond coincidence. That's yeah, ridiculous. It was absurd. It was yeah. absurd. I mean, it was it was enough when we found out, you know, that the the thing that's really traumatizing the younger sister is that she didn't just see her mother die, but that she was, you know, kind of the the instigator when she rushed the woman, the pregnant woman, and who then shot her accidentally, and then she picks up the gun and shoots the pregnant woman. She actually but, she doesn't shoot the pregnant woman. It if looks. Look, like she I know it looks like she's about to, but then she right, jumps because somebody it. else shoots the woman. Okay, so. But in any case, a, a, a traumatic experience. Right. But then, you, you know, like the, the ridiculous odds of having that turn out to be the mother of the guy who's accompanying her now, you know, into the wilderness. It's insanity. It was, it was, I, I just, I rolled my eyes and I, I just thought, oh, please. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so, yeah, and you know that that's going to become an issue later on when the story gets out and they get their stories aligned. And it, it's just, it's like, you know, made-up drama um it, it was it was for nothing and anyway i and, and all the stuff that happened at the end too the very that very last scene i'm kind of confused with i okay I was... okay so here's the deal uh as we knew the the helicopter crew were evil yep got uh, that and so they basically turned on the 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 group that that's is that uh that's town so if you see, like, they still have the banners hanging from their 10-year anniversary. Uh, those banners are still hanging, and everybody's dead inside. Now, right. what they didn't show is, did that happen at the same time? Is that a slight flash forward? Um, that I'm not clear about, but I did feel like they were responsible for it. See, the thing is, when they were shooting um, people, uh, it at least the way they shot it they didn't seem to be shooting anyone who was not already dead or who was maybe freshly zombified everyone who they they shot or stabbed looked like they'd been a zombie for a really long time so and some of them were were clearly sprayed blue like they were doing the day before and so i i didn't know it was like were they attacked by zombies and they couldn't stop it so now they're just you know cauterizing the wound or did they deliberately send the zombies I in? I feel like or, it was, I mean, it was you know. deliberate. Um, also, she wants the girl, the the older sister. She's like, except is she here? She, yeah, but except when he said we couldn't find her, she said good. Which means she's and, not dead. Which means she's not in the the dead bodies. That was why I thought she meant good. Yeah, but I, but but you know, I mean, why not? If if you've just killed an entire compound of people so you can make sure to get that girl, then you'd want her dead too. I don't so know if like she, I don't know if she wanted her dead. I think she wanted her because she's smart. I think like that group is obviously taking scientists 
And so I got the impression she just wants her. She didn't want her dead. I think she just wanted her. Yeah, well, it's still, the good seemed like a weird reaction. It's like, at least it should have been disappointment that they couldn't find her alive. Um, it just, the whole, it, it was not set up well, let me put it that way. It, it yeah. wasn't clear what it, what had gone on. I mean, you can look at it and say, oh, of course, they're bad guys, so they killed everybody. But it just, it, it, it didn't make a lot of sense in terms of, well, dramatically, why did you do that? You know, uh, Peter, your last thoughts before we close this one out. No, I, I agree with Allison. I also found I found the end confusing too. You had to explain it to me because I was just like, wait, what's going on here? Like, um, I thought I thought it was okay. I um, I'm trying. I'm, I'm I I totally understand that AMC. You know, for AMC, The Walking Dead is basically their law and order. Like, they want this this like this brand to last as long as possible. And now. The actual Walking Dead is ending in two seasons. Is that right? One more One season. One more season. One more season. So, like, I get it, and and I, it's not a bad idea to say, why don't we do a different kind of Walking Dead, which is more YA based? And look, there's a lot of, especially YA as an audience, it, that totally tracks. I just always have a problem, even though I am totally one of those people who watches a lot more CWs than any middle-aged man should. Um, <laughs> I, I, I get very frustrated when you give me, like, two sisters or two brothers, and one is, like, you know, the sensible one, and then the other one's, like, the bratty teen. Like, I, as a viewer, I'm just like, oh, my God, this other girl drives me crazy. Like, however, I'm not the target demo. So maybe if you are a teen or, or whatever that girl is way, way more relatable but for me she grates so I'm just like uh, I just really want to stick with the other sister like uh, it's fine I'll watch another ep I'll watch another episode because I mean it is still the Walking Dead universe um, oh and I liked I liked the I think Libya off podcast you told me that they'd done this before I liked how some of the zombies have like fungus on them because yeah. it has been 10 years so they're showing that it's not like a fresh dead body it's a very like decayed different kind of, eh, so I kind of like that so but it was alright <laughs> alright well let's wrap this up um, oh wait David you have a thought maybe they should call it uh, instead of they should call it uh, the crawling dead because it's baby's crawl you know oh that was you should have kept that to yourself no <laughs> no points no points alright um, if you uh, I think we're giving this like a thumb sideways so yeah so if you guys have any thoughts or comments uh, send them to tvcampfire at gmail.com follow us on twitter or on facebook listen to us on goodpointradio.com krypton radio we now listen and itunes and we'll talk to you guys next time bye 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 bye, bye. bye.